When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I interview renowned journalist Lacey Johnson on some major hot topics she has covered in the field of mental health, such as narcissism, the impact of social media on our mental health, depression, being a journalist during the pandemic, how she overcame some major personal mental health hurdles, and more. Lacey Johnson is an award-winning essayist, editor, and journalist. She has worked with a broad range of celebrities and entrepreneurs, including Betsy Johnson, Gabriel Bernstein, Deepak Chopra, Damon John, and Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson. With a deep intrigue for human beings and a fiery passion for smacking her readers in the face with the truth, she writes and reports boldly and introspectively about topics that challenge the status quo in the realms of love and relationships, popular culture, travel, spirituality, women's issues, motherhood, and the nuances of a fulfilling life. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends and family. And now on to today's episode. Lacey, I'm so thrilled to have you in the studio with me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. I mean, you're a journalist. I love what you write about. You write about things that are very close to my heart, about the mind and all things mind. And I love your work. So thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Well, thank you for having me. I admire you so much. And that is quite the compliment coming from you. Thank you. Thank you. That's so sweet. Well, we already were getting into some things before the interview started. And I thought we've got to capture these great things that you were saying in the interview, because I know that my listeners are going to love what you have to say. So Lacey, before we dive into the interview, can you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself that's not in your bio? And why do you do what you do? And what keeps you motivated? Sure. Well, it's funny. I actually am not even certain what's in my current bio or the one that you have access to. So I'll just kind of brief you on who I am. I'm a journalist, an editor, and a writer. I write for a lot of women-geared platforms, magazines, Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire Magazine. I've also written essays for Redbook, Cosmopolitan, Woman's Day. I write for Pop Sugar a lot. And I'm really, I explore topics mostly in the realm of relationships, mental health, 
self-development, just anything that promotes the optimization of self, as well as the optimization of the way that we connect with others. So that's why I'm, I'm so jazzed when you talk about the mind, because there's, that's just the center. That's just the where it all begins. But since I, I became pregnant in 2018, I have a one-year-old now. I've also been writing about pregnancy and motherhood, but I try to kind of approach that content more so like exploring the aspects of motherhood that are often stigmatized or not discussed. And I re- and I'm actually kind of working on a project behind the scenes right now about the psychology of becoming a mother because it's not just that you birth a child, but actually your your mind changes. Your you you are born as well. So I'm actually I've been exploring that content as well. Oh, that's lovely. And as a mother of four, I can totally relate to that. And having researched the mind, brain and mind for 38 years now, you're totally on target. You do shift completely when you become a mother. So I think that's a very, very good topic to explore, that mind change that occurs as you go into motherhood. Now, that's amazing. Well, I love the fact, Lacey, that you're into the whole mind thing because it is an area that's very misunderstood. And I'm excited that you are focusing on that. And just talking about that, I mean, we just one of the things you were discussing before we started was just dealing with our minds a little bit in this current pandemic. And you just were telling me a couple of things that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So in my life, I've experienced, I've had a lot of challenges in my life from, I experienced trauma in my childhood and various challenges and struggles throughout my life. And and what I've always, always sort of allowed me to thrive despite them, it's just, you know, searching for the beauty and and possibility in in every instance of misfortune, because it's always there. There's, There's never been a time you know, in my life where I've gone through something difficult, where there hasn't been just this garden of absolute beauty and epiphany that, that it, it always comes, it always comes. And so in this situation that we're in currently, I'm not sure when this will be coming out, but we are currently all quarantined. I'm quarantined with my husband and my one-year-old. We actually had a her party on Facebook Live. We had to cancel her first birthday party, <laughs> but it was cute had it originally how it's going to be quite unique in her little history as she grows up that she had her first birthday on Facebook. <laughs> Absolutely. She she chose a very interesting time to come into the world for sure. So it, obviously, you know, and I, I work, I have so many deadlines, so many writing deadlines and things, you know, planned. And, and so it's been extremely challenging working, my husband working full time from home, you know, it, but what I've tried to do in, in the moments where I just feel like there's so much uncertainty, there's so much, there's, there's hysteria, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the media. So I, and I'm, you can I, see it. Yeah, I can see it. And I also am in it because I'm, I've been creating content about, I've had to do a lot of interviews for how, how to talk to your children about the coronavirus, how to date d- during the, the pandemic. And so I'm in it and, and I, I'm seeing it from a variety of lenses. So it's really difficult for me to disconnect at the end of my work day and say, oh, I'm going to enjoy rocking my baby, you know, to sleep, or I'm going to enjoy dinner with my husband. What I've really tried to do in this time of uncertainty and, and upheaval and, and fear is just take notice in a really gentle way, just take notice of the things that haven't changed, the things that, you know, are present. For me personally, exactly this time last year, I had a newborn. My baby was born March 20th. 
2019. And I remember sitting in my living room and I would nurse her in the very early morning light. She was a terrible sleeper. And I, I remember this, this, there's this tree that's right outside of my living room window or one, one of the windows and it, and the buds were just bursting, it, you know, right at the spring. And, it, and it's doing that now it's in the exact same way. And so I'm just been like sort of connecting with that, with nature, with the sky hasn't changed and the, and the ground and, and just all the things that are consistent. That's so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's helping me. It's helping me. You know, I, I will say that, you know, it's, it's interesting because we live, I, I interviewed Dr. Shafali, this, this incredible clinical psychologist who's written so, so many beautiful books multiple beautiful books. And I love her perspective. She just really opened up something for me when we spoke a couple of weeks ago for a story. She was talking about how the, you know, we, life is always uncertain. Life is never certain. Life is never, nothing is ever guaranteed, but we live under this illusion every day that this is going to be, this, I'm going to plan my day. I'm going to plan my week. I'm going to plan my year. I'm going to do this and this and this. But this whole pandemic, while in an ex very exaggerated way, has sort of blown the lid off of that the illusion that life is certain because it never is. It never is. No, nobody wakes up and says, oh, you know, I think I'm going to get in, in a car accident today, or I think I'm going to run into this person and have this crazy, you know, conflict. You know, no, we don't ever do that. Life is always a series of curveballs and adventures, you know. And we just have to be along for the ride. Absolutely. And and it's as you're saying, we have to embrace that uncertainty because and find, I like how you said, despite all the things you've gone through, you always manage to look for something good in the trauma, something good in the bad stuff, because there's always something there. And so taking, finding something good in the bad and also embracing the uncertainty, if we take those two things, it kind of breaks down the fear that people build around those two concepts. Because people are very fearful of uncertainty, as, as you've been saying as well, and very fearful of going through trauma, but you've, you know, you've given really two really good ways of, of ways of perceiving them, looking for the good and just accepting that change is a certainty. We all know that we hear it all the time. It's not something new. It's, and I mean, I always would, my kids growing up, I'd say there's two things that are certain, you know, that I love you and things are going to change. Everything's going to change. Life is, is change. And mm -hmm. we all know that, but as you say, we live under this illusion that even though we know things are going to change, we get so surprised when they do. And we, Really, it, I think through this pandemic, it's so important that we do get our minds, our thinking and our feeling and our choosing around the fact that everything is going to keep changing and embrace that as a, as a new lifestyle. Absolutely. I think that if people had any concept of how powerful their mind is, they would never allow themselves to doggy paddle in a negative thought ever again. <laughs> I agree with you. I totally agree. It's so powerful. It is. And, and people have been so conditioned. Lacey, I don't know if you've seen this in your interviews and just the work that you've been doing over the years, because you talk to so many interesting people. And that's why I'm very excited to, to talk to you about this particular concept that I don't know if you found that people don't really realize how much power they have over their mind, that we can actually use our mind to control our mind. Do you find that? Do you find that people almost are feeling like they are controlled versus they have control? I do find that. And I used to be one of those people. So I connect with that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, I feel sort of a mandate to bring this information to the, to the masses because I used to be that. And I, I actually about 10 years ago 
dramatically changed my life. And nothing, I, I was the same girl. I had the same background. I grew up in the same home, same hair, same parents, same siblings, but my life changed because my mind changed. That's very powerful. Just say that again. Your life changed because your mind changed. Yeah, yeah that, that was the only thing that changed. Literally, my, my appearance was the same, same weight, same, same genetic background, you know, same biological blueprint, same history, same quirks, same, but my mind changed. And I just tapped into the power of my mind. I actually stumbled upon some of Bruce Lipton's work and it completely just, it just, this, this whole other world opened up for me. And I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole and I've been sort of tumbling down the rabbit hole ever since. And it's wonderful. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you're yeah. excited because this has been my world for 38 years. And I can tell you, Lacey, 38 years ago, I was challenged so much by my professors about how can you think the mind can change the brain and that you can, you know, what is mind anyway? And because there was such a, a move in the last 30 years towards reductionism, focusing on, you know, you just your brain, you're just a pre-programmed robot. And, you know, the more I challenged that and said these are separate but inseparable concepts, you know, people people went along with it. But it's now now we see, you know, the Bruce Liptons and, and the, the, the research that, that I'm doing with mind brain and these kind of things. We, we, we seeing you cannot deny the fact that as you think, you change your brain in an instant. And I mean, I see this in my clinical trials that we're just currently evaluating at the moment. There's an absolute immediate pattern in the brain if someone's suppressing a thought, if they're pulling things from their unconscious, if they're pushing it back down, or how they're reacting in any one moment, your brain just responds and your body just responds. And you can change that. You can control that. I mean, it's really exciting. doesn't mean it's going to be a walk in the park. It's incredibly difficult, but we can do it. Honestly, it's a blast. It is an absolute ride when you realize how powerful your mind is and how, how much power you have to change the information in your subconscious mind, like your programming. And, and it's really fascinating when you tap into, wow, I have been believing this for 20 years, 30 years. And that was someone else's, that was a program that was given to me. That, that's not even from me. It's just, it's endless and it's, it's infinite and it's just so much fun. It is. And what's even better is to realize that you go beyond the subconscious into the non-conscious mind, which is the deepest level. And there's just constant intelligence there that we can access as we think deeply. And that's something that I teach my listeners a lot. So I'm just so thrilled that there's a journalist that's into this because this is how we will shift forward as humanity is when we start really tapping into the intelligence of our mind and using it properly, which is super exciting. I want to ask you, you know, being a journalist, there's a lot of challenges and you raised one that I think is fascinating a moment ago about the fact that you're part of the whole media with the pandemic now and you know you immersed in this and you're seeing the frenzy you're seeing the you could easily drown I'm sure in what you're seeing that we as the the lay people are not seeing so there's that's a challenge could you talk about that challenge and then I want to just go a little bit more about into the kind of challenges that you faced in your life and career as a journalist because it's not an easy thing to be so I don't know which one you'd like to start with the current or just blend it all together the challenge of being a journalist at any stage and and then specifically in the current climate. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's for one a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like journalists. A lot of people love journalists. A lot of people don't like journalists. People, I think, uh, you know, people like to people like for the content that they come across to affirm what they already what they want to believe. And if and if and I think one of my biggest challenges is when I create 
content that is in contrast to what a lot of people believe, but that I feel is very supported by research. I know is very supported by research that there's, there's a, there's some dissidence there. There's some conflict there, but that's not so much a challenge for me anymore because I don't really get emotionally attached to that. I think when I was a little bit earlier in my career, I kind of let that go a few years ago. And now I'm sort of stimulated by that because I feel like if, if it's making people uncomfortable, it's, it's, it's waking them up, it's unlocking them. So, so I'm not, I don't have an emotional attachment, but I would say that is a challenge. It, it was a challenge for me before, and it is a challenge for, for other journalists. You know, in terms of just becoming a journalist and writing for, you know, prominent media sources and magazines, that's challenging. There's a lot of rejection. There's, you know, initially there's a lot of competition. So I think early when I was an aspiring writer and journalist, I was given so many messages. Oh, you know how impossible it is that, you know, it's so it's so hard to make money writing. It, you know, it's almost impossible to get anyone to notice you or to, to create those connections. But I, I never let it stop me and I knew exactly what I was going to do. There was just no other option for me. Nothing else woke me up. Like, like I, I seriously felt like I was obeying a mandate and I still do. So, so the, the, there were challenges there, but, but then I didn't really let those stop me. But I would say now my current challenge would be, and, it, and it's going to change all the time as the state of the world changes, but with this pandemic there is a, I'm very saturated in fear and negativity and I'm, I'm super empathetic. So I, I absorb it in a way I have to detoxify my thinking and, and like my, my, my energy every night. How do you do that? Well, journaling is, is very helpful for me. I mean, I'm a writer, so obviously that's very natural, but I sort of unload what, okay, anything that I'm feeling, I, I, this is not anything that I, I, it works for me. Hey, I've never read it anywhere, but it works for me. It works for you. Yeah. I unload onto a page, just anything that's like popping up over and over that's sort of like hissing at me. And then I divide what is from me and what is from other people. And then it just helps me see it in a very clear way. And then I, I and then I can, I can then make the conscious decision. Okay. This is not about me. This is from what's been hurled at me. This is what I've absorbed. But this is not mine. I do not own this thought. I, I I don't want this. And I just and that and that's sort of how I create that separation and I and I purge what doesn't serve me. So good. Well, that's an excellent technique. And what you've actually done there is you've used your mind to fix your mind. You've dragged things out of the subconscious, which is your most recent exposure to information. And then you've also dragged things out of your non-conscious, which is the biggest and deepest part of you. And you've sorted that. And that's an excellent brain technique, mind brain technique, I should say. So that's, and it's so, that's so good. And that's something that I, I think all of us can learn from you. So thank you for sharing that because to people are really battling with the emotion drowning in all the toxicity and the, and the negative news. And that's really a great way to separate out what is coming from you and what is coming from others. That's really good. I like that. Thank you. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high-quality enzyme. As you know, I'm a mega fan of the company Bio Optimizers. They're one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients, and their products work. Right now, you can get a bottle of their amazing digestive enzyme, Masszymes, for free. 
All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee and there's no catch. Masszymes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula with five different kinds of protease. Plus, it contains all of the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. Go to www.masszymes.com leaf free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash L-E-A-F-F-R-E-E or one word. You will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. Now go to www.masszymes.com forward slash leaf free. The link will be in the show notes. You know, I think one of the most tragic things in the entire world is living your life just on based upon what you're told. I think people go their whole lives and and they never realize, wait a minute, just because I was told that, just because I was forced fed that, just because this is being hurled at me by my political leader, my church leader, my parent, my caregiver, whoever, my my spouse, that you have to believe it that it, that it, that it becomes you and that it defines you. And the the beautiful thing is that you get to decide in every moment of every day do I want that? Is that about me? Do I receive that? Do I choose to believe that? Does that align with me? Do I want to apply that to my life? You know, do I want to operate from that thought? You get to choose and over and over and over again. That is so good. So wise. My four adult children will back up everything you've said. They say that to me, that concept, and it's so true. I'm totally supportive. I, what you've said is so critically important in terms of how we manage our mind. So thank you for saying that. You know, I first became aware of your work when my daughter, who works for me, sent me an article from Pop Sugar, and it was called, the t- title was Depression and Anxiety on the Rise in Young People, but is social media to blame? And mm-hmm. I've written a lot about this and done interviews on this, and I loved your article. Thank it was you. so good. So can you talk a bit about this article? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is social media to blame? Is social media simply a symptom of other major issues in young adults, teens, children, mm-hmm. etc.? You know, the suicide thing, what are possible solutions? You know, it's a jam-packed article. So, you know, take it from where, however you want to take it. Sure. Well, th- there's a multitude of things at play. And yes, I do that. I, I do believe that social media ma- can manifest very negatively. It can also manifest very positively as well. I pitched the concept of the article to one of my editors at Pop Sugar after having explored some data that about the rising suicide rate among young people and, and that it was had become the leading cause of, of death, which just made me made me weak in the knees. That I read that and I was sort of haunted by that. And it was that sort of information collided with a very interesting observation that I made at a coffee shop within a day or two of having come across that information. I was in this neighborhood coffee shop that I, I go and work, I, I write and edit there all the time. And it's, a, it's about a like 2000 square foot space, I would say. And I looked up and I just kind of gazed out across the 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 crowd and the at the patrons and and how, I'd say more than half of the people that I saw in one moment they were staging moments for social media they were staging moments okay and I just remember, I thought, like, who That's are 50% they? of the people, sorry to interrupt you, I just want to stress that 50% of the people that you were observing, as you looked up, were actually staging the moment as opposed to enjoying the moment, staging it for social media. 
Well, but there, and there's so much that not only are they robbing themselves of the, the purity of that moment, and they're, not, they're robbing their, themselves of life, of actually living the moment because they're, they're, pre, they're staging it for an audience, but then they're, audi- they're robbing the audience of even knowing them because they're getting this manufactured moment, this contrived moment. And, and it's, it's, I was like, who are people anymore? And it just felt so contrived and honestly kind of dark. And I, I, I was like, I want to explore this digital age that we're living in because we're more connected than ever. I mean, our world is smaller than ever. We can, I can have talked to, I mean, anyone across the world. I do, I do it all the time. I interview people all over the world, video, Skype, Zoom, you know, because of, of the nature of my work. And I, I know that you do as well, but I feel like we're more connected than ever, but we're, we're, We've also, we've sort of become a mirage of ourselves, you know, there's, there's this whole, and then, then, then there's this whole issue too of comparing ourselves to the mirages that we see online. So as far as do I think social media is to blame? Yes and no. I think it, there is the dopamine rush that we get from the notifications or from a notification that someone has liked or commented on our poster photo. That is real. It is truly addictive. I, I hope, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with dopamine. The, yes, the pleasure, yes, they would pleasure, be. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is real and it is highly addictive. But I think so much of it is user error. You know, anything like if you look at even alcohol is not necessarily bad in itself because some people, it's the user meeting with the alcohol, that's where, where you can create, you know, chaos and madness and it can and, and destroy your life. But one of the biggest things I think is that we're lonely because we are living in the shadow of connection. So we're we're biologically wired to be in relationship with with each other, but we're social media is this is not true connection. It is, you know, a shadow of the real thing and we're living in that and so we have this false sense of being connected but then we're not that 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 true biological need is not being satisfied. I don't. I hope I'm making sense, but no, that totally makes sense because we have to have that deep meaningful relationship, and it comes from. And you can have it. You can actually have it, as you quite rightly said, on social media. I mean, we can have a really great conversation through a text or through whatever whatever means. If you aren't able to physically be next to that person or in the same room or something like that, but it definitely is how you manage it. And yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the dopamine rush because that is real. But it, uh, very often when we say things like dopamine rush, and my listeners are very familiar with this too, what's really great to know is that yes, it does create an addictive pathway, but addiction is also one of those words that people think that they can't, that is a, a word where once you've got an addiction, that's that you are controlled. And that comes back to our discussion, Lacey, about mind in the beginning, that any addiction can be overcome. And I know you addressed that as well in the article, that it's not like you have to be controlled forever by social media. You don't have to be controlled by the dopamine rush of those likes. Yes, it creates a pattern in your brain, but that pattern, your brain is just responding to what you do with your mind. So whatever you do with your mind is going to change that. And and I know you address that sort of thing in your article. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. I mean, and and again, you know, there's just, there's so much and, and it's difficult because I think, I mean, it's so ingrained and it's such a part of our socialization now. I've observed college age and high school kids not even being able to really hold an in-person conversation, but, but they're so extroverted online. 
it's unreal. So they've actually forgotten the art of being able to do that face to face. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a balance that's needed, isn't it? That you, you know, if you're going to be on social media, but you still need to practice because you make a comment about they're so used to looking at their phone that they don't even know how to make eye contact. Right. Absolutely. Which is a, a different thing. And then and our Generation Z, I mean, do you want to talk about Gen Z that have literally come of age in this era? Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, they, they don't even know life without, you know, smartphones. I mean, that, that that's all they've ever known. They, I mean, they're, they, they were experiencing really important brain development while using smartphones and those devices. And you merge with your environment. So whatever you pay attention to the most is pretty much what your brain merges with because your brain does whatever your, wherever your mind focuses attention, your brain just follows suit. So it'll be interesting because I'm sure they're going to gain a lot of, you know, there's a definitely tremendous amount of positive. And that's what I liked about your article is you brought in the positive side with the negative. So let's talk about that as well. Let's talk about a balance between how can we use social media to get the best out of it, to improve our brain function and our mind function. Yeah, I think it kind of starts with the biggest thing I think is letting go of the obsessive need to please your audience on social media. If you're coming from that, if that is your intention, and I think we all need to be very honest with ourselves because I have done that. I I have put out content. I'm like, wait a minute, what is my intention here? Why am I doing this? What is driving me to post this? I'm trying to get a reaction out of people. I have to put myself in check, you know? And, And you have to do that over and over. But I think really in life in general if you're if if you if, if you can't let go of the obsessive need to please other people you're you're going to be setting yourself up for a world of of disappointment and it's, it it will, it's very defeating it, it it never works but really i think with social media if you want to manage your your life online and the way that it affects you emotionally and mentally you have to start there because if if you're coming from a place of obsessively needing to please your audience you're going to your your self-worth will depend upon how well something performs and also you will create a mirage of yourself and so if if you're living your life wearing masks and that you think resemble who other people want to see you will you will die never having been known you know you will you will go through life and no one will let, you there won't be any connection and then you'll be even more lonely and even more starved for that connection because they will be connecting to something that is not even you. And then there's a whole part of you that's missing because it's the most absolute essential basic core need that we have as humans to be understood for who we are. So mm-hmm. that's, there's that disconnect that you were speaking about earlier on as well, that if you're presenting that face to the world, but that's not really your authenticness or your authentic you, we always have that almost hollow feeling that people don't really know who I am. Right. You know, exactly. that can lead to tremendous, you know, then you talk about the suicide rate, you know, there's one of, there's so many, there's, there's never one reason for why someone commits suicide. And so we could never, ever really, I'm not in favor of the research that says that we've, you know, that it kind of almost in the direction of suicide is caused by, because it's so individual for each person. There is a couple of underlying common threads. And one of them is that authenticity, that does anyone understand me? Do they actually accept me for who I am? Do I even understand who I am? Is very strong. In, in humans. And if we can't get that need met, that can definitely lead to suicidal ideation. And that's something that I saw you addressed in your in your article, that yeah. if, if we can't be ourselves, it could potentially be, and there's not hardcore evidence, but there certainly is an increase in suicide, but it's not just social media, as you said, it's everything you know, that can contribute to that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just 
the shame is very dangerous. Yeah. When people live behind shame and, I, and I've experienced shame in my life. I actually, I, I won't say that I was ever suicidal, but I had those thoughts, you know, a couple of times, a couple of different times in my life, never, never to the extreme of, of planning it or, or anything like that. But, but I, but, but I was definitely, I entertain, I danced with those, with that dark question. Okay. I'll say that. Most people do. I don't know if you know that Lacey, it's very common. Yeah. Most I, people do. Well, I, I haven't researched it, but I have had those conversations and I, I don't, there's almost no one I've ever spoken to who, who pretty much everyone I've ever talked to is like, oh yeah, me too. I, 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 you know, I, so yes, I would, I, I believe you when you say that it's, it's very common, but I feel like there's so much shame. And if we could just sever our ties to shame, like our shame stories, you know, for me, having gone through a lot of things in my life. In, in my childhood, I created a lot of, I made a lot of poor choices in my younger years as a result of unresolved trauma. And I, I wore, I lived my life wearing masks all the time. And, and just because I had very strong abandonment issues, very, very strong fear of abandonment. And it just took me a really long time to shake hands with being completely comfortable with who I am and my past and my mistakes. And, and, and it's so liberating. It's so freeing to, to just turn my nose up completely at shame and refuse to align myself with it. Even, even when it comes up, I, I don't, I don't link arms with it. I don't, I don't attach myself to it anymore. I think you've raised something that's touched a chord for everyone. I, how comfortable would you be to give a, a more specific example? about I, I can give What's, you I'm, I'm very open so ask me anything wonderful okay so give us an example of you described the process mm -hmm. of how shame and abandonment can you give an, an example oh. of maybe what happened in your life that sure. led to that yeah, absolutely. So when I was six years old, I'm from a very closely knit Southern American family. My father's family owned a furniture store business. We lived in a very tiny town in, in Southern Mississippi and we owned a, a furniture store business and my mother worked there as well. It was during the winter. It was an unusually cold winter and the heat had been going more than usual. And there was a gas pipe that exploded and seven people died. My mother, my, my paternal grandmother and my two aunts. So as a child, I really didn't, for a while there, I didn't have any adult in my life, any example in my life. Every, everybody in my life was grieving, okay? I had no one in my life who was not grieving, really. And so a multitude of things happened there. Number one, I was from, I'm from a very Christian family. So I was never really told like, Hey, your mom died. She, she didn't choose to die. You know, she's not coming back. It was just, Oh, she went to heaven. She just all of these things. And children are very imaginative. I was six years old. And, and so for me, it, it, even though no one ever said your mother abandoned you, I experienced it that way. And that is what my, that's what, that's what my, it took root in my psyche. Absolutely. And so as I, and so, so a few years later, my dad remarried to a wonderful woman. They had two boys who I'm very close to now. However, I perceived, oh, you know, now they have this cute little family, you know, there's, they're getting family pictures made, just my dad, my stepmom and my two brothers. And I'm just left over from, I'm leftovers from a life that went terribly tragically long. And of course, no one told me that, but that, that was my, that, that was, was your perception. That's how yeah. you were making sense of it all. 
That's what I downloaded, right? So, you know, uh, and of course I was a teenager. I, I never, I didn't have counseling. You know, we just, it was just very like go to church and pray it away kind of thing. So I, ne- I didn't process it. And, and so there, there was that. And, and I think I also carried shame about just, there was sh- even, this may sound strange, but shame that I even lit, I survived because it, it was a very weird circumstance that I was supposed to be in it. My, I was there every day and my, my mother's friend just randomly decided to pick me up for a play date it, from school. So it was a really, my dad actually thought that I was in there because I was at every day. So, so there, there was a, there was some of that. Gosh, so much stuff as a child to process. Right. And, and so I think, so there was that. So moving through, and it obviously in real time, I did not have these epiphanies. This came much later. Yeah. As you got older. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, some significant abandonment issues and abandonment from the tragedy from, you know, losing my mother and my two aunts and my grandma, but also perceived abandonment when my dad got remarried, which, and I say, I, I'm very cautious to say that because I'm so grateful my, my dad got remarried. I adore, I adore my, my brothers. I can't even imagine my life without them. But in that experience, it felt like a, another abandonment. And so whenever I got into my sort of latter teens and early twenties, I was very dysfunctional in my romantic relationships. And I would get into relationships over and over with very possessive, controlling, abusive men who, and, I, and at the time I didn't know why I kept doing that, but now I understand that it was, well, I, they, they wouldn't leave me. I, I subconsciously, it's, it's, it's that my biggest fear was being abandoned, and I knew that that they that they were so obsessed and so controlling, and so on top of me and so suffocating that I would never be left. And so it's sort of pacifying that fear, it, you know. So that created a lot of shame. There was a lot of just very terrible, terrible situations. In in one of the relationships, I and I and and I'll, I share this, and I just want to say that before I share it, I, I don't I it can be a little bit triggering. So just for anyone who maybe this can be a little bit triggering. I had an abortion. I experienced an unwanted pregnancy and in one of the abusive relationships. And I decided not to to move forward with the pregnancy. And, And obviously that was very traumatic for a multitude of reasons. Also having lost my mom, having always dreamt of becoming a mom. So there was a lot of shame with fusion shame mm-hmm. and and so i carried so much of of that throughout my life and about 10 years ago i stumbled upon some of bruce lipton's work about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and how the subconscious mind is sort of like a tape recorder and it just keeps playing the same story over and over and you can get frustrated you can stomp your feet you can say god why are you doing this to me why does this keep happening why does this keep showing up but you have to actually access the information on the tape recorder and it just opened up a trap door in my life and everything fell through it and it's just you had to change it. You had to completely pull yeah. that out of there and completely reconceptualize it. Yeah. And in fact, I experienced a lot of guilt from having an abortion. My husband and I experienced four years of unexplained infertility. I went to doctors. I, they, they, they couldn't 
explain why I wasn't getting pregnant. I, I just wasn't happening and, and everything was great. They couldn't explain why I wasn't. And in June of 2018, I went to an acupuncturist because I was having some stiffness in my neck from writing and editing long hours. And it was very interesting. She said, you know, I, 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 there's something in your like pelvic area. There's some trapped emotions. It was very, very strange. I'd never experienced it. Like yeah. When you can embody things into your body. So every cell, every thought that you experience with your mind, because mm -hmm. your mind builds thoughts, which is the energy, and then they get physically built into the brain. And then every single cell of your body embeds that experience. So that's very scientific, what you um, experience there. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was June 1st, 2018. And I, I, I she said, would you mind it? If, if I did some work there and I said, absolutely. So I felt this very odd tingling sensation. I returned a week later and she put the needles in the same place. And I had the most, it, it was as though my a showroom of my most shameful thoughts, like something poured out of it and just popped up and said, hello. And like, I, you are going to face me. And I, I was lying on the acupuncture table and it was a very dimly lit room. I could only see a little bit of light coming from under the crack in the door. I was completely alone and I something in my in 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 my spirit, in my psyche, just there was this question posed to me like, can you find do you believe that you deserve to be a mother? And can you find a chapel of grace within yourself? And I just decided it, it, I was just having a total experience with my eyes shut, just lying on the acupuncture table. And I realized in that moment that in my, my I, every time I had taken a pregnancy test, every single time I had had this shadow thought that was, well, it's not, it's going to be negative because you don't deserve it anyway, over and over. And I realized that and instantly I decided Yes, I do deserve to be a mother. Yes, I do. This was June 8th, 2018. And July 18th, I was standing in my bathroom holding a positive pregnancy test. In my oh, wow. What a mm -hmm. great story. That's, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. That's sure. really beautiful. Uh, really beautiful. This episode is made possible by Thrive Market, my go-to online delivery store for the best quality organic and non-GMO groceries. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values, like paleo, keto, plant-based. They also offer clean beauty and bath products, pet staples, and non-toxic cleaning products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. Not only do I get all my healthy groceries from Thrive, but I also get all my non-toxic cleaning supplies and beauty and skincare products from Thrive because they have the best prices and they make online shopping for typical household stuff so much more exciting and affordable. As a member, I'm saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. As a proud Thrive Market member, I get the products I love and my paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Try Thrive Market and become a member risk-free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash drleaf. Join today and you'll get up to $20 in shopping credit towards your first order. That's t-h-r-i-v-e-market.com slash drleaf to start your risk-free membership and get up to $20 towards your first order thrivemarket.com slash drleaf. The link will be in the show notes. 
I want to actually take this incredible story that you've that you've spoken about and and I want people just to sort of really process how you actually faced the issue and you really dealt with it and you had to really dig in through the pain of what you'd gone through to find the reasons why you were thinking what you felt about yourself and how you dug deep and found the cause. But it was work and it changed your life and it was mind work. So I, I just want to emphasize that, that you did a lot of work in your mind to be able to deal with that whole pattern that had been set up in your life. So that was a lot of hard mind work. Am I right, Lacey? That was, that was not easy and it was years. It was, it was layers, but it was entirely mind work. But I want to emphasize to anyone listening, even if you don't connect with infertility, even if you don't connect with anything specifically that I'm in, that, it, that I've experienced, it's not really about that. The things that you desire in your life, whether it's you know a certain career path or financial freedom or love or forgiveness from a family member or you know whatever, the things that you desire in your life, you know, you, you can only access them if, if you hold an, an, an intention in your mind and, a, and an absolute belief in your mind that you deserve those things. That's just, that's where it starts. And because the thing is, is that if you don't believe that you deserve it, if you're holding a thought in your mind that says that, that you don't really deserve it, even when the possibility and even when possibilities present themselves that could take you to that goal, you won't even see them. You won't even see them because you're not looking. You're not looking at it from a, a place. It. Exactly. You're totally yeah. missing. You're, yeah. You're totally no, that's- Totally. Well, that's fantastic. With well, the fantastic advice, great way to great way to segment now into. There's so many other questions I want to ask you. So, thank you so much for sharing that incredible story sure. and the advice that was connected to it. I want to just transition over to that another article you wrote, which is just mm-hmm. such a lot. You know what I'm going to talk about? The narcissism article. <laughs> Every second person is talking about it, but I like how you've approached it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a hot topic now. And you know, there's I like the way that you just approached it and talked about it in your article. Can you take it away from whichever angle you'd like? Sure. So you asked me why I think the topic of narcissism is so hot right now. And I actually have an idea maybe. I could I could be way off base, but it sort of connects with our digital age and social media. We, you know, are living in an absolute information age. We have access to more information than ever before, than any generation that's come before us. We and we have information hurled at us more than any generation before us. But that comes with droves of misinformation, right? People who have no expertise on topics and and, and haven't researched, I mean, anyone can create a blog, a meme. And and I'm not saying that that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of beauty in that. There's a lot of of beauty in, in everyone having a voice. And so I'm not knocking that. But but I but I think that people can attach themselves to a quote, a meme, an, an article, a blog post that was not written by an expert. But if it says something that they would like to say, but maybe they don't have the nerve to say, they will attach themselves to it. They will share it. And I think in a sense, we use in our digital age, we oftentimes use content as a crutch or maybe a cryptic sort of means of communicating something that we aren't brave enough to talk about or address. It's almost like people 
have used social media as a way to like plant seeds or sort of dig at other people in their lives that they're upset with or call people out without them having to really do it because the article says what they wish they could say. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It does. It's, it's, it's like a confirmation bias. You call it mm-hmm. in psychology that, that you, you'll find something that actually matches the way. It's very easy to find something in print that can support your thought process. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of misinformation out there. A lot. Mm. People are not always as discerning as they sh- as they could be. And also narcissism, you know, it is so easily, I, the traits of narcissism can be so easily identified because it's, it, there's a spectrum and we, and we, we're, we're all, we all land somewhere on the spectrum. There's the, the biggest misconception is that there are tons and tons of narcissists. That's not really true. So there's something called narcissistic personality disorder, and that only makes up about one at the most, maybe 4% of the population. Most of of them are men, but women can have narcissistic personality disorder as well. But I think what most people identify or think they identify as someone with narcissistic personality disorder is a person who has is who's very high on the on the spectrum who just possesses more narcissistic traits than the average person and th- that is i'm not we don't really know like exactly what that percentage is but it's it's definitely it's probably in the range of like 20 or so percent so chances are really high that you know someone who who possesses who exhibits a lot of narcissistic traits but that doesn't mean that they have narcissistic personality disorder sorry to interrupt you as you just said i can see where you're building a link between the technology technological age access to information the information Mm -hmm. age how we can almost become self-obsessed and satisfy our own desires and things and our own our own thought patterns without getting a balance and that can activate those right. narcissistic type behaviors i think that's where you're going mm, am I correct yeah. yes absolutely and i mean social media does support narcissism you know it, it does and 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 it's not one of the misconceptions is that just selfie taking is narcissistic. That being self-absorbed, self-absorption is one trait of nar- of high narcissism. But there are not every person who's self-absorbed is narcissistic at all. You know, the hallmark of of a narcissistic person, a person with high narcissism, I should say, is someone who is has a very grandiose sense of self, very inflated sense of self. They move through life as though they are special. They have this need to be special, to prove they are special, to demonstrate how special they are. They operate, you can just tell like all of their actions and decisions and conversations. They they operate as though their needs, their time is more important than yours. And they have this incessant need for validation and impossible expectations for how their needs needs should be met. A person with really extreme narcissism, they can be disturbingly angry and they they call that narcissistic rage. When when those expectations are not met, they can be extremely vengeful, extremely just just do incredibly specific yeah yeah and their behavior words everything and that's coming from and i love the way you approach it because we basically the way i see this as well and i think it's very similar is that i like the spectrum and it's actually a description of a behavior pattern that is definitely not desirable but it can it's in all of us 
to a certain extent when we get obsessed with ourselves in, in certain ways and things like social media can enhance that. But then we can keep developing that and we can land up on the wrong end of the spectrum where we are actually tipping in that direction and that then impacts on how we are functioning daily. But there's always a cause. Why would someone become like that? And you address that in your article as well, that there's a general reason why yeah. people become so narcissistic. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. And that's why it's so important, it, you know, to come from a place of compassion, even for a narcissist. That doesn't mean, being compassionate doesn't mean crumbling at their demands. It doesn't mean excusing it, explaining it away. It doesn't mean betraying yourself in order to be kind to them. That's not what it means at all. But just looking at it from a place of there is a why behind their very disturbing behaviors. Narcissism is a, or high narcissism is a wiring issue. So it's, it's a personality disorder. It's really in their wiring of their personality. So that means it is literally braided through everything, the way they see the world, the way they interact with the world, the way they view themselves, the way they approach every action, endeavor. It is, it, it is, it is braided through them. And it often stems from almost almost entirely from a person's emotional needs not being met. And it's over time as well. I like yeah. the way you use the braiding example because it didn't happen overnight. And I want to stress that for it to be impacting a person's entire personality, that's been building for years from unmet yeah. needs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Emotional needs not being met. And, and what's really tricky about that is you can look at someone's life and say, well, they were fed, they were, they were, went to a nice school, they had lived in a nice home, they were taken care of. But a person can have all of their financial needs met, they can go to play all the sports and, you know, but if they, they were not emotionally nurtured the right way throughout their developmental years, it can absolutely breed narcissism. No, that's really that's really so well explained. And you also uh, you have I'd, I'd like to just ask that because of your investigation and your mm -hmm. your article is really good in terms of dealing with the narcissist and whether we should confront a narcissist in terms of their behavior. What can you talk about from your research? Yeah, th this is very very tricky, and I'm very cautious about this because you know being that their narcissists are so volatile and because they do create storms a lot of the time the idea of recommending that someone confront them makes me nervous because i don't want that on my shoulders not all narcissists are innately evil i don't i don't want to say that they are just they're operating their operating system everything defaults to protect me my ideas my side, my perspective, you know, the thing is that, that if you are going to confront a narcissist, what you absolutely have to make peace with first and foremost is you, you have to remove the emotional attachment to helping them see your side. Okay. You know, narcissists are not going to see things, a situation through, through your lens. They're, they're not. Every situation is unique, but in the majority of cases with, with a person with very high narcissism, it's extremely difficult and in some almost impossible to pull them over to your side and to get them to look at a situation through your lens. You, It, it would be like talking to a brick wall and one like the kind that starts crumbling over your head, you know, it, it seriously. So what you have to do First and foremost, you have if you have a, a narcissist in your life who's causing you a lot of agony, stress, you know, anxiety, maybe a, a, abuse, who's jerking you around, 
you have to change the way you emotionally and mentally engage with them. It starts with you, 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 you. It starts with you. You have to stop. You have to relinquish the power that you give them. You have to stop giving power to their tantrum, stop walking on eggshells, stop bending every time they tell you to, stop, you know, ducking every time they're they come flying at you with their angry, self-absorbed banter. You have to stop getting stung by their digs and ploys and games. You you have to stop, you have to get off the dance floor, I guess you could say. You have to get off the dance floor. So you 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 have to make peace with you have to change you. But you, because you can't change them. You can't change anyone. Anyway, you have to change you. You have to change yourself by changing you. You're protecting yourself. Yeah. So in, in that situation, let's say that, you know, you, there's a narcissist and you're having difficulty and you want to confront them. They've done something or they're creating a problem, whether it's in the workplace or in a friendship or in a marriage or a parent-child relationship. Let's say that you want to set a boundary. I I don't know that I recommend confronting a narcissist so much as yet. Boundary setting is different because it's when you're presented with a situation, you have the right to, you know, say, no, I will not I will not do that. I will not go across town and spend my lunch hour running your errands and 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 if I encounter your wrath because I won't, so be it. You know what I mean? You, but you, so you can set a boundary, but you have to make peace with with before you even set that boundary. Before you decide that you're going to, if let's say that you decide going forward, I'm going to begin setting boundaries in small small ways. You have to make peace with knowing that you're not going to get the reaction that you dream of. You can dream of, of them having them, oh, all of a sudden this, the heavens parting and them seeing it your way and seeing the, all the damage that they've caused. That's just, you have to let that go. You have to let that go. That's really great. Create boundaries, let that go, change yourself. And you also had one, be gentle with yourself as well, which because it yeah. can make you feel like you're going crazy. I like the way you explained that. Your paragraph, and I'm going to read here, for one, be gentle with yourself. Narcissistic abuse often causes a person to feel like they're going crazy because narcissists have a knack for making everyone in their self-created circus swallow the blame. But once you know, the less likely you are to be gaslighted. I thought that was really, really well done. What I'm going to do, Lacey, is we will put the links to these two articles, the one on social media and the one on narcissism in the show notes so that people can actually read these articles. So I wanted to ask you in closing, where can people find out more about you and read your articles? Well, I am, I write very regularly for Oprah Magazine and Pop Sugar, but I actually have a website, LaceyJohnson.com, where I, I keep it updated with, with not, I can't put every article, all of my work, but, but the most popular, relevant, current links. I also keep any news and things updated with any podcast appearances or speaking engagements, any any new work projects that I'm doing. I've got some book projects. So LaceyJohnson.com, I have a lot of links to the various uh, publications that I work with. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Lacey, this has been so interesting. I've really enjoyed this discussion with so. you. Thank it's you. been fantastic and, I, and thank you for coming on the show and I'd love to talk to you again and have you back on the show again. I'm very excited about what you're doing and the, and the way you're approaching journalism. It's just great having journalists like oh, you out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. I think you're brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips 
and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.